0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel
0: Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jetikin.
1: Hey. Hey. We just ate a bunch of food. What else is new?
0: (laughs) I just had a smidge of soup. Yeah. It was good. It was really spicy.
1: I like it spicy, Desi. I do, too. I guess we'll talk about it on our Friday mini show. Okay, maybe. <laughs> Let's start out the show by thanking our Patreon contributors for this past week. They donated over at patreon.com slash Scene. This week we had Lissandra, Mariel, Amy, Jamie, Lynn, Nettie, Amanda, Jack, Paige, Benji, Ofra, Robbie... Katrine, Michelle, Taya, Jamie, Heather, Marsha, Trina, Virginia, Michelle. We got a PayPal from Ted. We know Ted. Thanks, Ted. Thank you. Matthias and Emma. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys so much. All right, Desi, let's just jump right back into where we left off with Evelyn Nesbitt. This is part two. If you have not listened to part one, go back. Listen to Evelyn Nesbit, Part One. It's from last week, so it'll be pretty easy to find. <laughs> now, where we left off is that Evelyn had just spoken with Broadway producer Charles Dillingham, who was asked by Stanford White to warn her about her new boyfriend Harry Thaw. Ooh. Now, Stan- ha- Evelyn had just come back from a like a long European trip with Harry and stanford was really jealous about this because his uh you know possession his girl was into this guy now basically right. so she's trying to steer her away from him by saying he's a he's a junkie and he's a womanizer and but he's getting his friends to do it he's getting his friends cuz he's like looking like the guy like oh i'm just after your best interest but you right. you should talk to this guy about it
0: yeah they have something they want to tell you i have no idea what <laughs> That's
1: basically what's happened. Now, Evelyn took the accusation seriously because this guy that she had talked to, Charles Dillingham, was a successful producer. And she's really young at this time. And she's thinking, well, why would this guy
0: lie? He's very successful. Right. I mean, producers are known for their integrity. <laughs> they never lie. Stanford
1: White next suggested that she meet with a lawyer friend of his named Abraham Hummel, who he claimed had represented an actress in a suit against Harry. Evelyn was skeptical, but she wound up being convinced by these men that maybe Harry might be bad just because all of a sudden she has three different older men around her warning her about this guy.
0: What a weird coincidence.
1: (laughs) So she met up with Abraham Hummel and he asked her to write down, or he would dictate, like she would dictate a detailed account of her relationship with Harry, so that just in case, in the event that she ever needed to file a lawsuit, they would have this affidavit where she talked about her relationship
0: with him. And very if, normal if thing, any, thing
1: to do. <laughs> very normal, and she thought it was weird. I should, okay. I should point that out. But she did it anyway. Now she's 18 years old at this point. Oh, wait, she's, she's so young. She's so young. You have to remember. So she did it, even though she thought it was weird, and he's asking her details about their trip across Europe and specific places they stayed, whatever.
0: Do we know, did they fuck Henry and Evelyn? Harry? I mean, Harry, yeah.
1: I don't know if they were fucking on this trip.
0: Okay, so at this point, as far as we know, she's only had, like, sex with... Stanford but after also, he raped her,
1: but also John Barrymore because she was. Dating oh, so him. she fucked
0: John Barrymore. I don't know.
1: I think she fucked him because they were she wanted to get married to him, right? And there was a couple other guys that she was dating, okay, in that period so it's of possible. time. We don't know, though. We don't know. Yeah. I would like to think she got to
0: fuck John Barrymore. I hope she fucked John Barrymore.
1: Now, when Harry Thaw returned to the states in December of 1903, Evelyn ignored his calls and letters. She had been slightly brainwashed by this point. Like, she was a little freaked out by the whole situation. Okay. Like, okay.
0: What's going on here? Maybe I
1: should be scared of him now. Yeah. So she's ignoring him for a bit. But it wasn't until they ran into each other at a cafe that they began talking again, and she remembered, like, oh, yeah, I like this guy.
0: Yeah. That, I feel like that's happened to me before. If you don't really know someone and then people convince you, you can start thinking. Do you know what I mean? Remember that guy who tried to convince you that you shouldn't (laughs) hang out with me? Oh, right. (laughs) And I didn't know you that well. And it wasn't like I believed him, but it was kind of like, am I being stupid? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's like you don't really know, but you kind of just, obviously I picked you. Thank you, And it worked out. Yeah. But it was kind of like, I think for me, I was like, well, she's not talking bad about you, so I think you're the bad person. Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, it was like him and his girlfriend had a weird, like
1: they were mad at me about something. They had like a weird grudge against me, but I never ever mentioned him or
0: brought him up whatsoever, even though I knew you were friendly with him. Right. So that's what made me believe you that like (laughs) go with you. Cause I was like, well, why isn't she bad mouthing you? Cause if that was true, she would be like, by the way, like she would try to like, do you know what I mean? Like you would try to get me on their bad side or whatever or manipulate me or something. Right. Anyway. Well,
1: Harry did have some bad things to say about Stanford White, but rightfully so. Yeah. Because, look. He's a rapist. (laughs) uh, He is (laughs) a rapist and a predator of underage girls. Yeah. Okay? So Harry and Evelyn, they run into each other, and Evelyn told Harry about all these wild stories that she had heard about him from these three older men, such as he whipped actresses and that he was a drug addict. And she's like, do you lure young actresses and whip them? And do you take morphine and cocaine? And Harry calmly looked at Evelyn and said, I see that they were making a fool of you. He then went on to explain the grudge that Stanford White had against him and that these were nothing more than rumors meant to destroy his reputation.
0: He, did Stanford have another reason to have a grudge or was it purely Evelyn? Like, did they hate each other for other reasons? Did you know? Or
1: I'm going to tell you. Okay. Now... He then pointed out that these types of rumors seemed more in line with Stanford's behavior anyway, that he was, like, luring young actresses. He's like, wow, that, I mean, that kind of just sounds like projection there.
0: Yeah. He's spanking.
1: He's spanking young actresses. He also noted that one of the clubs that Stanford belonged to, the Union Club, was notorious for its secret orgies that wealthy men frequented. Whoa, I would like to know more about that club. Me too. But he was like, look, he is part of a group of really fucking sleazy, wealthy men who just get away with anything because of their money and connections. And everything this guy is saying about me is really a projection of him.
0: Also, she was with him for a very long period of time and would have noticed heroin or drug addiction stuff probably.
1: That's exactly what Evelyn said. Ooh. And she was like, yeah, I mean, I never saw you indicating any signs that you were under the influence of any type of drugs. We basically lived together around Europe for right. six months. Yeah. So nothing indicated and he, he never
0: acted untoward. And you never spanked me, <laughs> fucking asshole. <laughs> I,
1: How dare you? <laughs> now the, now they're spanking, that's what's on the menu <laughs> So he then told Evelyn about a notorious dinner party that Stanford had attended in May of 1895. The party was held at society photographer James Breeze's studio, and the attendees were a who's who of wealthy, prominent men and women, including Nikola Tesla and Charles Dana Gibson. Those are just Whoa. two of the people who were on this invite list. It was like 30 different people. It's the, the oldie timey, <laughs> like like hit parade. <laughs> I mean, this yeah, this was like everyone who was anyone, but it was
0: still like a, I mean, it was only like 32 people or something, but like. I liked like the orgy party with like an Alexander Graham Bell was <laughs> like these oldie timey
1: folk heroes like totally all. the meal was extravagant and lasted over 10 courses at midnight a gigantic spherical pie was carried into the dining room by six waiters the crust was cut into and out came a naked 16 year old girl named Susie Johnson and several live canaries Whoa. This was like some real stunt food happening.
0: Yeah. I like have so many. I'm like, was the pie shell cooked?
1: (laughs) I'm like, how did she get in the pie? Here's how I imagined it. I imagined that it was like, it was pre-cooked in a dome shape, like two dome shapes. right? And then they glued it together with like icing or something. Yes. Do you know what
0: I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They pre-cooked it like underneath a, like a big dome bowl maybe. Yeah. So that it was rounded. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, that still seems very stressful. I don't want to be inside a pie.
1: I don't know if I want to be inside pastry either. It just seems like
0: uncomfortable.
1: You would have... It's never going to be big enough. You have to do it right before you're about to serve me. Yeah.
0: I don't know. Like, okay, are we ready to go? I'm not really a fan of any kind of food being served on human bodies. Like sushi? Yeah. Or like in general. I mean, not that they're going to eat that pie shell, (laughs) (laughs) but if it's good... (laughs) I'd probably want to take I mean, a crumble. I a waste
1: of pastry, mm-hmm. really. But I feel like, I mean, that's, like, this kind of weird, like, old-timey stunt pastry I'm kind of into, like, just the lore behind it. Like, I mean, there's a whole Wikipedia page on, like, women in pastries and weird things in pastries, like, oh. uh, in the medieval or the Renaissance era, like, like centuries ago, like, people would put blackbirds right. into pastries. And, oh, right. There
0: was canaries, too. There was
1: live canaries that flew out Oh, that
0: even is worse for her. She's in there with live canaries.
1: <laughs> yeah, are they flying around her? Are they, like,
0: packing her? <laughs> I don't know. But this is, like, something that's, like, definitely some wealthy people shit. Right. Where a- they're like, absolutely. oh, how delightful. We paid her $50. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. So Susie,
1: after she had emerged from this pie, she danced for the cheering guests, and they all sang Sing a Song of Sixpence. Oh, God. (laughs) Later that year, however, Susie went missing and was never seen again. Oh. Now, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole with this case. This did make the papers because... The, I mean, it was so extraordinary, just this dinner party that people talked right. about. I actually found a menu from the dinner party. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll post that on our Instagram. I mean, this was like a multi-course meal. It was like a big deal, and all these like famous people were there. And suddenly this woman— Who was there. Young woman, yeah. underage girl, who had popped out of the pastry in the grand finale of the feast, had gone missing. Susie's parents searched high and low around art studios in New York for their daughter— but no one ever investigated the men who were of known to have been around the young girl because they were all just too powerful. Right. And her, she came from like a working class background. Right. Her parents had no pull with any authority figures. So she was just forgotten about.
0: Damn. Isn't that horrible? Yes. So her body was never
1: found? No. Nope. Mm. As for Abraham Hummel, the lawyer that Evelyn had spoken to, according to Harry, he was also a crook who had been in trouble with the law for doing shady shit. Okay. Which is true. Yeah. Like he had been in trouble for like just being a really unethical, bad lawyer. Okay. And doing illegal shit. So she's like, why the fuck are you going to, how, yeah. you can't trust him. You can't yeah. trust anything he says. Like, I can't believe Stanford made you talk to this guy. Like, that's so gross. Yeah. So this definitely made Evelyn realize, like, okay, you know, maybe I was being taken for a ride. Yeah. And Harry has shown me this whole time that I've known him that he's a good guy. In February of 1904, Harry Thaw asked Anthony Comstock, who was the creator of the New York Society of the Suppression of Vice, to investigate Stanford White. Comstock worked to preserve Victorian morality and was strongly against anything that he considered to be immoral, in which included birth control, pornography, gambling, etc. Okay. So, yes, was this guy against child sexual assault? Yes, he was. But he was also against a lot of good things. Yeah. <laughs> like pornography and birth control. Like right. this was all in the same Fell under the same umbrella to him, right? It was pornography was just as bad as sexual assault to him. And I mean, vice, it's like
0: I know I like almost all of those crimes except for probably the sexual assault. Yeah, we we don't like that part. Yeah,
1: but to him, all of this was immoral, and Mm -hmm. he they needed to preserve Victorian decency. at this time, in March of that year, Harry and Evelyn returned to Europe. This time, they brought along Harry's friend, Ben Donnelly, to be her chaperone. And it was still kind of a scandal around society circles and tabloids that Harry had now traveled twice to Europe with this girl who wasn't even his wife. Okay. I mean, look, things were different back then. People got their bustles all in a tizzy.
0: I like that her chaperone was a, another man. Like, Yeah. You'd think it'd have to be her mother or something. Well, the mom was not ever going to Europe with them again. She
1: was tired of feeling like a third wheel. Oh, okay. She was like, that was the worst trip ever. Wow. Yeah, the mom did not have a good time in Europe with them. Okay, so she didn't know how
0: to go off on her own and have fun.
1: No, she, <laughs> she was uh, in yeah. a grumpy mood the whole time, okay. basically. So they'd go with this guy, Ben Donnelly, and... Harry's own family at this time were skeptical about Evelyn, just on a basis of her class position. Right? They were like, "How dare our son run around the world with this girl who's hardly even an actress? Yeah. Who comes she's a nude model? Yeah, she comes from poverty. Yeah, she's not in the same like
0: class level. Class like.
1: level as us. So they were not happy that their son was being seen with this woman." But when Harry proposed marriage for, to Evelyn for the second time, she accepted. Evelyn Nesbitt and Harry Thaw were married on April 4th, 1905. The wedding was small and unremarkable, probably due to the fact that the family wasn't super on board. Several of Harry's siblings didn't even attend as they were unwilling to accept Evelyn into the family. After the wedding, for their honeymoon, they traveled across the country to Chicago, to Milwaukee, the Grand Canyon, Yosemite, San Francisco, and then they head back to Pittsburgh, which is where they would live at one of the Thaw family homes. And though Evelyn was once and for all financially stable, she grew bored hanging around alone all the time in their mansion. And she's not in the big city anymore.
0: She's in Pittsburgh?
1: She's in Pittsburgh, Okay, so, I mean, she's just, like, growing bored Mm -hmm. at this time. When photographs that Rudolf Eichenmeier had taken of Evelyn, notably from a session that they had done with her in a kimono on a bearskin rug back in 1901, began circulating in local publications and calendars, the Thaw family was mortified. So suddenly, like, the copyright had been lifted, from this photo session right. that they had done five years prior. And so now they were like, she was being featured in calendars that were being sold in like the local shops. Okay. And her picture was being used for advertisements and other places other than just New York newspapers. Right. So it, she just was even like, and they were just like coming back into the public consciousness. Yeah. Like they're getting recirculated again. And this was like, very immoral. Like these photographs, this photo shoot was very immoral, especially to Mary Thaw, the matriarch of the Thaw family. Uh, and we will post these on our Instagram too. It's a great photo set. The Thaw family sought legal action against a local Pittsburgh butcher who was selling calendars with Evelyn's picture in it. And he ended up having to get rid of all of his calendars. Oh. Like they were like, no one can see this. Yeah. No one can see this. Harry's mother was outraged when a photo from the kimono bearskin rug shoot was featured at the Carnegie Art Gallery in 1906. Oh, shit. Yeah. A headline in the New York Times read, quote, the Thaws are annoyed again. (laughs) I feel like they drew way too much attention to this. They should have just let it go. No one would have cared. Yeah. But Mary was, like, very religious.
0: She sounds... Fucking annoying.
1: You just know exactly what kind of woman she
0: is. Just some bitch named Mary. Some
1: <laughs> Edwardian asshole who is all about like preserving the family name. Yeah. And it's like
0: you know there's a picture of her in existence where she has a black lace veil on. Right? Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, I know exactly what this bitch looks like. So she, like I said, she was very religious. These photos were an utter embarrassment to her. That summer, when Harry proposed, they leave the states and go back to New York and then Europe for a while. Evelyn was ecstatic. Okay. She was like, "Good, let's get out of Pittsburgh. We'll stop. They were going to stop off in New York before boarding a ship going back to Europe." And okay. she's like, "People are more understanding. Yeah, there, it's not so uptight, and we'll be away from your fucking shitty family. Yeah, who hates me." They planned to attend the opening of a new show in town called Mamzelle Champagne at Madison Square Garden. Now, back in New York, Stanford White was secretly struggling financially. He owed up to a million dollars in debt. He had been voted out of McKim, Mead, and the White firm that he had worked for Ooh. and founded, that architecture firm. At that time, the cost to maintain Madison Square Garden, along with the mortgage and the cost of putting on these events themselves, was far greater than the money that it was taking in from all the shows being put on there. In an attempt to get out of debt, Stanford had planned on selling some of his valuable art and furniture, but a fire broke out at the storage locker that the items were stored at and destroyed everything. Oh, shit. And he hadn't insured any of it. So he was fucked. At this time, the 52-year-old's health was also in poor condition. As well as his massive weight gain, it just exacerbated everything. Like, he was slow-moving at this point. He was just
0: not in great shape. Is he—he's 52? He's 52 now. So he had gained a lot of weight as well as his other health problems? Yeah. Okay. On June 25th, 1906,
1: Evelyn and Harry sat down to eat at Café Martín with two of his friends— Truxton Beale and Thomas McCaleb. The cafe was across the street from Madison Square Garden, and they were getting a bite before the show Mamselle Champagne started. <laughs> now, at lunch or late early dinner, whatever they were having, uh, Truxton was recounting the story of how he shot newspaper editor Frederick Marriott in San Francisco for talking shit about his wife in the paper. Oh, He was like, how dare
0: you? Yeah, I'll shot someone who talks shit about my wife.
1: (laughs) This is the original wife guy.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: So basically what had happened is that Truxton was with his friend Thomas Williams Jr., who was a fellow San Francisco Society guy, when one of the men shot Frederick three times, wounding him in the thigh and wrist. The wounds were not fatal, and both men were acquitted on the assault charges. I don't even think they could prove which of the two guys shot
0: Frederick, and I think that helped them get acquitted. So I like that you could get off in those days, like, hey, two of us were there. We don't know whose gun went off, like, right?
1: And it, and and I think also the jury was like, well, he did talk shit about his wife in the paper. Yeah, like he was defending his wife's honor. Yeah, like I'm saying, a hero to all wife guys. <laughs> Now, when they were done eating, Evelyn, Harry, Truxton, and Thomas headed up to the rooftop of Madison Square Garden, which is where the play was being performed. It was crowded that evening, and the show had already begun by the time they got there. The play was boring, and Harry got up to excuse himself. He saw his friend Jay Clinch Smith on the other side of the rooftop and sat down next to him. They talked about how lame the play was. When Harry returned to his seat where Evelyn and his other two friends were sitting, they were all itching to go at this point. He could tell. So they got up and started making their way out before the show was even over. As Evelyn walked towards the elevator, she glanced behind her and realized that Harry had disappeared from her sight. She scanned the rooftop, but she could not see him. She did, however, spot Stanford White sitting way up, in the front, next to the stage, no doubt ogling the actresses right that were there. Kick higher. <laughs> Ugh, he's <laughs> disgusting. I
0: like. I can't even imagine going to a play where your ex like would be there. Do you know what I mean? Like, I how can, bad did they have to see Mamzelle Champagne? I don't feel like they had to see it that bad. <laughs> I, I think it was like being touted as like it was like the Hamilton. Oh, okay. except
1: it wasn't the Hamilton, but yeah. it was being touted as like this. You is have what, to see; you, it's yeah. gonna be a must see. Yeah, and
0: this was the like opening night. I still would be like hard pressed to go to my ex's like place, you know, like yeah, uh, especially because there was like so much bad blood. It right. wasn't just like a breakup or whatever it was.
1: I guess they figured since it was gonna be so crowded there, and it was like all right. of society was going, yeah, that they went. Look, yeah. I don't know people. People did weird shit in those days. Yeah. Okay. And that's when Harry appeared. Evelyn watched him approach Stanford with a twenty-two caliber pistol pointed directly at him. Harry fired the first shot, which tore into Stanford's shoulder. Harry fired again, this time hitting Stanford in the face right below his eye. The third bullet went straight through Stanford's mouth, and he was dead. Whoa. And this is like definitely a fuck you killing. Right. This is like, I'm going to shoot you in your fucking shoulder so you feel pain first. Then I'm going to shoot you below your fucking eye. And then I'm going to shoot you in the fucking mouth, you piece of shit. Yeah. And Evelyn watched this? Yes. Oh my God. She saw this go down. Stanford's body lurched forward and smacked face down on the ground as a growing pool of blood formed around him. Ooh. At first, the audience thought that this was part of the show. <laughs> you got to love it. <laughs> as a fight had literally just occurred on the stage.
0: There was like Can a, you imagine the actors be like, hey, <laughs> this is our big moment, <laughs> upstage us. They thought it was part of like this duel scene. Oh my god, that it just that's happened, so, like awful.
1: But the girls on stage stop singing as soon as they witness the shooting. <laughs> I'm sorry,
0: I need like a recording of this. Whoa, oh! <laughs> like some oldie timey they didn't even scream they were just like oh yeah it was just like very abrupt Matt, yeah mademoiselle champagne oh. <laughs>
1: <Sorry>. <laughs> they stood there frozen as stage manager lawrence lionel called out to them sing 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 Jesus. he was like why are you stopping yeah sing He also didn't want to cause a scene. Like he, I think he was like, I think something bad just happened. But don't stop. The show must go on. The show (laughs) must go on. The orchestra also had stopped at this point, and he started shouting at them to keep playing. Jesus, you better keep keep playing. Stop it. We don't want to cause a scene.
0: It's hard. You're under pressure. (laughs) The first night, it's always scary. Yeah.
1: Now. By that time, Harry Thaw was walking down the aisle of the rooftop theater, his gun raised above his head, holding it by the barrel in a gesture of surrender, basically. He had done what he had come there to do.
0: Why is this so hot to me? <laughs> like, he just wife guy. Like, he also a wife guy. He's also a wife guy yeah. legend. Damn. This is very hot. Look, I'm only laughing at Stanford wife getting killed because he's a bad guy. Right. So don't at me.
1: Lawrence rushed to the front of the audience and tried to calm everyone down. He said, a most unfortunate accident has happened. The, <laughs> accident. Management, <laughs> the management regrets to ask the audience to leave at once in an orderly manner. There is no danger, only an accident that will prevent a continuance of this performance. I'm okay. sure everyone left in a very calm manner. I'm after sure, that. yeah. Harry was escorted out of the theater by two men, one of whom was a firefighter and one of whom was just another member of the audience who volunteered to help escort him out. Harry was very calm about all of it. He told the firefighter, I did it because he ruined my wife. Whoa. Now, the newspapers couldn't decide if he had said life or wife. They're like, did he say wife? Maybe he said life, but I, he said wife. I think he said wife. Yeah. he's. Yeah. I'm telling you, he's a wife guy. Yeah. Evelyn was at the elevator when Harry approached. She said, my God, Harry, what have you done? My God, Harry, you killed him. Harry's expression did not change. He was very calm. He said to Evelyn, he ruined your life, dear, and that's why I did it. Harry was arrested and booked at a police station nearby on 30th 30th Street. And when asked why he did it, Harry told Officer Patrick Debs, quote, he deserved it. He deserved everything he could get. He ruined a girl and then deserted her. The next morning, Harry was taken to police headquarters on Mott Street. Police inspector Max Schmittenberger said that he would not be giving Harry any special privileges just because he was a rich guy. When Harry arrived at headquarters, the press were there waiting and photographers were furiously snapping pictures of him. This was obviously a huge fucking news story. Yeah. At headquarters, Harry was photographed and his measurements were taken. He was then taken to the courthouse where he was ordered to be remanded to to the prison on Center and Lafayette. Evelyn and Harry's younger brother, Josiah, went to the prison to visit Harry the next day. Harry assured Evelyn that he had put together a powerful team of attorneys to represent him. The next day, Evelyn appeared before the grand jury at the coroner's inquest. Evelyn stated that she would not answer any questions in the interest of protecting her husband. Other witnesses testified, and Harry Thaw was indicted on first-degree murder. Harry entered a plea of not guilty. His lawyer urged him to plead insanity, but he refused. He said, "'No jury will convict me of any crime when they hear the truth. I killed White because he ruined my wife. I am not crazy.'" Stanford White was simultaneously celebrated and trashed in the papers. On June 29, 1906, the New York Times reported that Anthony Comstock had told the press that he was willing to testify to a grand jury about Stanford's disgusting behavior. He said that he had spoken with Harry Thaw a year and a half before the murder about this behavior. This is a quote from the New York Times from Anthony Comstock. Thaw declared to me that White was in the habit of luring young girls, some of them underage, to his studio, and he gave me the names and addresses of some of the girls. He also told the paper that he had evidence of orgies hosted by a group of wealthy New York men that Stanford was involved with. Comstock declared, quote, I will drive every moral pervert out of New York. Now, like I said before, Comstock... Yes, his intentions were good, trying to get rid of the sexual predators, but this guy, again, not a good guy, was also against uh, abortion uh yeah. birth control pornography anything was anything under this umbrella was like the same yeah. to him but he but yes, but he said he was like hellbent on getting, you know, all of these men that were associated with Stanford White, bringing them to justice. He was horrified. Right. And I don't think Harry agreed with any of his other stances. He just knew he could use this guy right to be like see. Yeah. Comstock stated that he believed Harry Thaw came to him with the best of intentions, that he only sought to bring White to justice. He said that he didn't think he should have been murdered, but he believes that he was driven to do it because he wasn't able to bring charges against him. A pastor from Cleveland named Charles Eaton said, The murder of Stanford White by Harry Thaw reveals an absolutely rotten situation socially in New York. With so much bad press about Stanford White... His friends scattered like cockroaches. The press could not find them anywhere mm. to get quotes from them. They were all suddenly in Europe, yeah, or like, yeah, some off in California <laughs> yeah. or somewhere else. Like, no one could get in. Touch. Gone fishing. <laughs> <laughs> it was literally that they like they were nowhere to be seen. Suddenly, it, it's like this is the Jeffrey Epstein of its time. Yeah, where it suddenly where is. Where's this guy? He was on the flight logs. Can we get a quote from him? So that summer, after feeling the pressure from the revelation that so many wealthy men were out there preying on teen girls, the police managed to make a few arrests. Harry Thaw's mother, Mary, begged her son to plead insanity. She even offered to put together a team of doctors to evaluate him and to testify on his behalf. But Harry refused. He was adamant that he was perfectly sane and he knew exactly what he was doing when he shot Stanford White. Harry allowed his defense team... However, like he, they were able to convince him to let them bring their own psychiatrist in to testify that it was Evelyn's story that had driven him to murder Stanford. I guess they were positioning it to him as, like, well, we're not going to say that you're insane. We're going to say that this story drove you to do right. it. Right.
0: So, like, temporary insanity or something. Yes. Like, like
1: he was able to make peace with that. Mm-hmm. But he wanted it to be clear like, I'm not insane. This drove me to a
0: break, like a psychotic break. Yes, and and he fucking deserved it, basically.
1: Harry's trial began in January of 1907. A psychiatrist named Britton Evans testified to having met with Harry Thaw a few weeks after the murder while he was in prison. Evans told the court that Harry was convinced that a group of wealthy New York men were out to send him to the insane asylum so so that their crimes wouldn't be exposed in court. The doctor also claimed that Harry said that Stanford White had hired gangsters to rough him up to intimidate him into silence. They testified that Harry had believed himself to be at the center of a conspiracy, that basically all these guys were out to punish him for what he knew. They just wanted him to go straight to the insane asylum so that their sex crimes wouldn't be exposed in court. (laughs) I'm not even cutting that out. Um, This fucking cat. Uh, She's like, yeah. (laughs) Him and the other doctor who examined him determined that he was insane on the day of the shooting. Dr. Evans testified that the more time had passed after the murder, the more sane and rational Harry had appeared. He concluded that this was temporary insanity. Evelyn Nesbitt testified for the defense about her relationship with Stanford White, how they met, and how prior to that she had grown up in poverty. Evelyn told the court in great detail about the night back in 1901 when Stanford lured her into his home on the premise that there would be a party, how he drugged her, and how she came to naked in bed with him and was bleeding. She broke down into tears when she described these events. Also sobbing in the courtroom was Harry Thaw. Mm. The New York Times reported that his sobs were very genuine. This was a man who was absolutely in anguish Mm -hmm. over hearing the details of this story again. Evelyn's mother, Florence, who was back in Pittsburgh, was able to connect with a reporter at the trial who repeated back to her via telephone the details of her daughter's testimony. The call was ended when Florence fainted upon hearing the (sighs) details of the rape. Evelyn told the court about how Stanford filled her head with these horrible stories about Harry Thaw and how he pressured her to talk to a lawyer to document her time with Harry in Europe in order to blackmail Harry Thaw later. And that just, she talked about how Stanford had basically inserted himself into every arena of her life for two years. Right. That like, he basically owned her. Again, her growing up in poverty was crucial to this story because he felt he could throw money at her and her mom and have this ownership over them. Like I said, in part one, he provided the doctor for her and got her the hospital room when she had to get her appendix taken out. Just, you know, one of the many things that he did to sort of get himself and control her. Evelyn testified for two days and the papers printed every gruesome detail. This outraged the National League of Catholic Women who I think we've talked about before.
0: I think so too. May West maybe? Yeah. Or someone like that? I they've they've shown up a few times, I think.
1: Yeah. They get really outraged a lot. Yeah. Now they were outraged that the papers had the audacity to publish such smut because they published literal quotes like they they I mean the papers used to publish like just Transcripts of the testimony. They didn't like edit it. They did not yeah. edit it. They would publish like this. There was, you know, on one day of her testimony, the New York Times basically ran like a four-page, yeah, article about this trial, and much of it was just a transcript of the testimony. So they were pissed off. So was the Women's Christian Temperance Union. Oh, they go can,
0: get fucked. The, <laughs>
1: Uh, Representative Charles Wharton of Illinois introduced legislation to prevent the distribution of papers printing these details across state
0: lines. I like how they're more upset about that than the rape. Like,
1: Yeah. President Roosevelt made a statement that he would do everything in his power to stop the spread of obscenity. But at the same time, he also said that he knew the testimony had already been printed and circulated across the country and there really wasn't much else he could do yeah. in that instance. District Attorney Travers Jerome attempted to discredit Evelyn's story by hammering her about the dates of a photo shoot that she had and the date of the rape, which she had previously stated occurred the day after the photo shoot. So he's like had gone through the photographer's appointment book. Right. And been like, well, you said it it happened the day after, but this happened this
0: day. It might have happened 12 hours earlier. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Like what? He's trying to... Pull a gotcha on her. Jerome told Evelyn that it couldn't have possibly taken place on that date that she had said because Stanford White was with his wife that day hosting a dinner party at their Gramercy Park home. Yes, Stanford White had a wife. (laughs) Evelyn told him that she couldn't recall the exact date as it was five years ago And Jerome also attempted to discredit her by questioning her as to why she continued to see Stanford. Why did she continue to receive money from Stanford White after he attacked her? Again, we discussed this a little bit in part one. None of these are abnormal reactions to assault or ongoing abuse. But this guy needed to discredit this rape victim as much as possible. And he was pulling out all of the classic tactics. This line of questioning against Evelyn obviously was just done to make her look like a liar. Evelyn's own mother had told the prosecution that her daughter had written a letter to Stanford while they were traveling through Europe together with Harry. Florence Nesbitt still believes Stanford white to be the charitable rich man that only had her daughter's best interest at heart. She had a grudge against the Thaw family for not accepting her, and she had already been soured on Harry Thaw early on, back when she was the third wheel on that trip in Europe, so she never liked the Thaws to begin with. Evelyn told the DA that she only wrote the letter to Stanford because her mom made her. Florence Nesbitt said that she was ungrateful if she didn't write it. The DA pressed her about why she didn't tell her mom that Stanford had raped her. Evelyn told him that at that time she would have rather died than tell her mom about that. The DA had struck a deal with Stanford's lawyer friend Abraham Hummel in exchange for the affidavit that Evelyn had allegedly written about her relationship with Harry Thaw back in 1903 at the urging of
0: Stanford White. Oh, shit.
1: So the DA is now collaborating with this shady lawyer who had pressured Evelyn right. into talking about her relationship with Harry Thaw. The statement would prove that Evelyn was a liar and that it was Harry Thaw who was the bad guy. Uh, the, the, it, was, it was basically the affidavit had said that it was Harry Thaw that had whipped her as he had done several other young actresses. Now I mentioned previously that this lawyer was shady and, and he had actually been prosecuted by the very DA. Oh. In the Harry Thaw case for providing a false affidavit okay. in 1905. So, this lawyer who's now providing an affidavit for the prosecution was just recently prosecuted for, for? providing false affidavits. Yeah. But Jerome was willing to take this evidence from him to strike, in exchange to strike this indictment against him. D.A. Jerome did not care if this copy of the affidavit was falsified or not, which it most likely was. Yeah. It pretty much was. They didn't, it, even this copy of this document, it was a copy of it. It wasn't even like an original document. It was shady as shit. It yeah. was clearly doctored. It was clearly stuff that Evelyn did not say. Someone right. else had written this stuff on there. It was I'm kind bullshit. of amazed
0: they knew to get that back in the day. Did they just get those to have just in case? Like, Uh, I don't know. That's like wild. Yeah. Um, Evelyn
1: took the stand again, and this was her fourth day of cross-examination at this point. DA Jerome held up a copy of the affidavit that Hummel had provided him. "'He grilled Evelyn about its contents. "'He asked her if she had told him "'that Harry had rented a castle in Austria for them "'while they were traveling, and she said yes. "'He asked her if she had said "'that she was woken up by Harry one morning "'and he had urged her to come to breakfast immediately. "'She said no. "'He then asked her if at breakfast "'Harry asked her into the bedroom. "'She said no.' He asked her if Harry grabbed her and ripped her bathrobe off of her and threatened her with a cowhide whip and then beat her with it. Evelyn said, I did not tell Hummel that. The DA continued, quote, Did you tell him that Thaw wanted to injure White to get him in the penitentiary? Evelyn said, quote, I told Mr. Hummel Mr. Thaw wanted to put Mr. White in the penitentiary, yes. The DA asked Evelyn if Harry Thaw whipped her, And in an attempt to get her to say that Stanford had raped her so that he would have a case against him, Evelyn said, no, absolutely not. So they're trying to make turn this into, actually, it was Harry Thaw who was beating Evelyn to make her say these things so that he could get back at Stanford White and put him away. Total fucking bullshit. He then showed what appeared to be Evelyn's signature at the bottom of the document. Do you recognize that signature, he said? She said that it looked like hers, but she absolutely does not remember signing that piece of paper. And it probably wasn't her signature. And again, like I said before, this was like a copy of this. This was not like an original document or anything. So the trial was now coming to an end, and that is where we will leave off until next week, with the conclusion of Evelyn Nesbitt, is Harry Thaw going to be found guilty? Is he going to be found not guilty? I don't know. Tune in next week. I mean, I do know, but you guys don't maybe. Don't Google it. Tune in next week and find out. Find out what happens in this trial and find out what happens to Evelyn. Okay. We will be talking more about
0: what her, her life,
1: life what her life ended up like, what happened to Harry Thaw, what happened to all this other stuff.
0: Okay. Cool. yeah. Cool excited. That's that. Okay guys, we'll look forward to the pictures.
1: Yeah, please join our Instagram. It's the same name as our podcast. I'll be posting lots of great pictures cool. of all these people
0: okay and stuff. So, yeah. Thanks it. guys. Bye. Bye.